Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Do the deed this week. I'm ready Wait, to do the deed. The D. What deed are we doing? What am I? We're what? doing the, the D. D, not the deed. The We're D. doing the D. What? That sounds. Is that bad? What is? No, what am I saying? Yes to? We're about to do the D. <laughs> what does that mean? We're doing disruption. Oh, yeah, that D. Yes. What did you think we meant? I d- <laughs> don't answer that. Uh well, answer answer it if you want to, but... Uh, I'm just tearing up that paper. There we go. No, no, no. Don't worry. Nothing, nothing happened. Is that you just l- ripping, up the, ripping up the agenda for this episode? Is that what this is? Exactly, exactly. Changing everything. <laughs> Changing plans, guys. So I have drank a Starbucks unicorn frappuccino oh, today. Oh, what was the unicorn frappuccino like? It was um, pretty much what you would expect a bright neon pink beverage to taste like. Awesome. No, uh, not not uh, if it was if it tasted bad, then <laughs> it's uh, like it's too much of a good thing. It's like very, very sweet. And then it's like not. And it's kind of weird. And apparently I'm going to live a half cursed life now from drinking it. So I have to tell you, if I worked at Starbucks, I would go to jail like within a week <laughs> from committing a felony because I can be in there. And when I go to a Starbucks, I order one thing, coffee, large, black, because I don't want to be that girl, right? <laughs> and then invariably you're in front of someone that's like, oh, mochaccino, skinny milk, and what? What? No nutmeg? No nutmeg? You failure. And I know that would be the point. <laughs> you filthy beast. That I would stab somebody. So, oh. yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how people work at Starbucks. It's like the worst of white privilege and <laughs> like all in a store. It's great. Uh, yeah. And, and apparently I was reading an article today that like nobody prepared them for this. And it takes them like a really long time to make that thing. Like, I don't know if they actually have to grind the unicorn up in order to make the, the unicorn frappuccino, but it's like, it took like a good five minutes. And I'm not complaining, like, I'm just making an observation, but apparently, like, the day that they launched it, like, the drive through lines were, like, around the block, and they were running out of stuff, and uh, there's, like, a whole Reddit, like, subreddit of Starbucks employees, like, complaining to each other about, like, the war, it's, it looks like reading war stories uh, from, <laughs> like, having to be through that launch with, like, no prep. I heard it changes flavors. Is yeah. that true? It, it, it well, yeah. It starts off sickeningly sweet, and then it goes to just kind of blah. <laughs> so it's basically because the ice is melted. Well, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. And they they were like out of one like the blue sour powder. So I don't know if I got like the full unicorn frappuccino experience. I'm totally gonna do this. Is the, you know what though? That's that's how horrible I am. That you saying how horrible it is makes me just want to try it. Yeah. You're selling me on this. In fairness, I'm usually wrong about pretty much everything. So you probably should try it because it's probably amazing. No, I mean, it's like it's like Burger King puts out macaroni and cheese fries. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna right try there. It. I'm yeah, gonna, gotta try what it. What garbage food do you have this week? What about you, Micah? Are you pro or con garbage food? How do you how do you feel about that? I'm pretty con garbage food. Uh, what? Yeah, Judge I, you. I, oh, I, as I mentioned before, I really don't get much joy out of eating food in the first place. So, uh, garbage food. Is that why you do it in the shower? Yes, yes, we've talked about this. Is I'm just uh, asking. Adds an adds another layer of experience, I guess. But uh, uh, yeah, garbage food kind of. I I will not shame anyone who loves garbage food because I actually do quite enjoy when people get excited about like I don't know a chicken wrapped burrito uh, that's served on I don't know a bed of rice wrapped in a pizza. That sounds awesome, and I love when people are like, oh, I have to try this, and then you know they're like eating it and and tweeting about it or whatever. But um, yeah. I, I didn't, like a Taco Bell shell with like made yeah. of Cool Ranch Doritos. Yeah, that was yeah. touched by God. Like that, <laughs> that is the, the mystery of God's love 
<laughs> yeah, like no, like I'm all for that. Like whenever they have like something like off the chain like that, like I'm like I'm disgusted by it and yet I still like need to go try it to see if if it's as bad as I think it's going to be or if it's secretly like amazing. It's you're disgusted yet intrigued. Yeah. It's why yes. it's why people listen to our show every week. Right. I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> we are the unicorn frappuccino of podcasts. Right. I think no, that's accurate. That's that's really come it's on. Too Georgia. much. It's, it's actually too, much too good. It's too much praise we for the are, show. We are at best the Burger King like potato f- wedge fries of of podcasts. That's I probably think true. That's more accurate. That's probably yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Georgia. Every day this week, when my husband's come home, he this way says to me, he goes. Georgia didn't mail that gun yet. Did you? No, I didn't. I didn't. I went. I it was closed because uh, right? last weekend yeah. it was the holidays, so they were closed. So I didn't get to go. And uh, now I'm working, so you have to wait until Friday when I am I, off. It's fine. Um, I'm loving the fear. I have it as every Saturday. I have it as okay. a reminder on my phone. Okay, um, that says Nemesis. Uh, Brie, so that there we is go. Almost better that he, like he, he lives yeah. in fear every day waiting. <laughs> That's kind of an ominous reminder, though. Like you just on Saturday, you just have Nemesis Brie pop up on your phone. It, it's, <laughs> that- it does cause a little bit of trauma, really, because I don't know what that means. Right at first, you're like, wait a second, and you're like, oh, whoa, no, it's no, so it's okay, it's okay. This is not like like Doomsday. It's okay. And, and it's like your reminder tone, like the music from Jaws. <laughs> I think it would so, be more like the Terminator, but yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, Georgia, we need to work out some codes when you do send this to me because, yeah, we don't want to get in trouble, like, with the U.S. Border Service. We don't want helicopters flying above Georgia's house. So, yeah, just send me this code when you finally do ma- mail it. Go, the monkey flies alone, and I'll know what you mean. <laughs> and then, like, you know, because Trump is probably Wait, reading our totally messages. writing that and, down. Yeah. Right, the second. monkey get, flies alone. I have alone. to get a paper. Wait, I've got a paper here. Okay. 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 The monkey flies alone. Okay. <laughs> and I will reply with the, the eagle soars at sunset, and it'll just be great. Like, that should be all of our messages for now. I'm going out of my way to name my next Hearthstone deck, The Monkey Flies Alone. I don't even I know like if it. there's going to be a theme. I'm just going out of my way to name well, it that. We have we have the name of the podcast. Yes, yes, we do. You're welcome. You're welcome, Georgia. We've saved saved me uh, five minutes on Sunday. Fantastic. That's it. Yes. (laughs) It kind of sounds like it could be a good, uh, like, secret bar beverage. You know, you you go to your favorite bar and you sit down and you're like, I want the monkey flies flies alone. And they kind of, like, nod at you and they're like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Whip it up. It's like triple sec and Mountain Dew. That's when when your date didn't show up. That's what that one is. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, ooh, yeah. Okay, so now I need to figure out, I need to come up with a a drink recipe for like a, you got stood up, here's what you get. And so it's like super alcohol. We should, (laughs) we should have everyone, everyone write in to us what they think. Submit the drink that would go with the monkey flies alone. Submit your mixology recipe for the monkey flies alone. Then we can try it on the next podcast. I'm sold. Amazing. (laughs) I, do you drink, Micah? Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you have such good skin. I wouldn't have expected that. I would have think, like, my body is a temple. I treat it with respect. Hell no. Give me that Everclear. We're he, doing doesn't, this. he doesn't like yeah. garbage food, Brie, but he, he drinks. Garbage food is, is a whole different thing from alcohol. Like, well, in my, in my in my psyche, I, I guess. Right, like, right. When, when you're eating garbage food you are getting assaulted on all different sides like there's so much stuff that goes into that with alcohol it's like that's true there's alcohol in it you you have that one thing to worry about with with food it, it just goes to to your body and your muscles and with alcohol it just goes to your brain so there's no loss <laughs> that's not what i'm saying i'm saying <laughs> you, you can either have like a, a spray of machine gun uh machine gun attacks coming at you which is food like You've got, uh, uh, f- you know, fake colors in the food. You've got preservatives right. in the food. You've got right. oils in the right. food. You've got all these right. things. With a glass of wine, which is my preferred beverage, I have the alcohol, which, yes, is is coming at my brain. But it's like, do I want to just look at the one bullet that's coming right at me or do I want to have to worry about all 50 that are coming from all right. around if I eat you're, that? You're like the person that's wearing the body armor and didn't wear the helmet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I die like, You know first. it's putting wow. microlegions in your brain, right, Micah? Like, it, even every time you drink that, it's just like little tears in yes. your brain, and then it has to go through and repair the cellular damage. Uh, I know this because I used to drink way too much. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, like it really <laughs> tore my brain apart back then. So, well, uh, I, I'm certainly not, uh, not. I don't know, dissuaded. <laughs> dissuaded? Okay. Yeah. okay. No, well, no. I guess you'll make your own choices. This is yeah. true. Our I mean, I, I just failed to see how a hot a hamburger topped with a hot dog is worse than a glass of wine. So, You know, Steve, I, uh, <laughs> I will let the world answer that question for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'm not Fair sure there will be many, many places that will... Uh, will be on your side in that sentence. Well, we, at least we won't need a visa to be able to drink. Beautiful. Uh, except we're going to talk about racism and sexism first. Oh, are we? Oh, you see, I got to pick one. Uh, you, you, did a, you did a very good job, but... Uh, did I do a, a, good, a good segue, just was, wrong segue? Yes, it was a beautiful oh, segue. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, <laughs> maybe one day, artificial intelligences, intelligence I, intelligences, <laughs> will need visas. Uh, we wrapped in the segue. So uh, I, I don't know if you, you all remember, but uh, I, I was actually working at Newsy at the time, and I remember this story hitting my desk, and I immediately wrote something up on it. Microsoft released this little chatbot called Tay, <laughs> and uh, the, the first day of Tay was was kind of hey. fun. You could go in, you could talk to the chatbot, and the chatbot would respond and say interesting things. Um, but of course, because humanity is what it is, within 24 hours of the chatbot existing, probably less than 24 hours, the chatbot became a racist, sexist, uh, any ist you can think of garbage heap of terribleness. Um, so Microsoft eventually did close it down because it was, the way that uh, Tay worked was it was actually learning from the communications it was having. And as you talk to it, it would learn more. Well, these Princeton uh, researchers decided to kind of look into why artificial intelligences, intelligences become racist and sexist. And what, what's fascinating and yet at the same time completely obvious, uh, the, the results of their study showed that basically whenever a, a new AI is learning how to use human language. Uh, they feed it this thing called the common crawl. And what the common crawl is, is 840 billion words taken from the internet in 2014. So I just, they basically took the internet and said, we're just going to take all of these words and we're going to feed oh, no. it into the system. It's called the, it's called 2014 like, was a bad year for the internet. I know this. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was a bad year, Micah. Oh. Uh, like, like 800 billion of those are probably from Reddit, too. That's not good at all. It's a oh. nightmare. Uh, so, yeah, the common crawl gets fed into the AI, and that's how it starts to kind of figure out how sentences are formed and how you uh, use those sentences to communicate. And so they decided to to do some studies on the common crawl. And basically what they found out is there's a whole lot of bias and stereotypes and things like sexism and racism built into the common crawl, built into human language. And so if you take these bots and instead of just, uh, you know, taking, let's say an individual bot, uh, so I've got this little bot in my hand and I'm talking to it and I'm like, Hey, you know, this is how we talk. And then it starts to learn how I talk. And I'm, you know, teaching it language. I'm teaching it all these different things. And then suddenly it calls me a bad word. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, you can't do that. You have, to, you, have to, you have to be chill, my little robot friend. So I've just taught the bot that it's not <laughs> supposed to do that. But if you just feed it a bunch of words, it's going to get all the bad stuff along with the good stuff. And it turns out humans say a lot of bad stuff and are actually pretty <laughs> terrible. Um, so these bots are learning how humans learn and, and what we do. Again, it's kind of obvious in the sense that, yeah, if you teach bots what humans do and say, then it's going to uh, learn from that. So the idea is that if we want a future where AIs don't have that prejudice and that bias, we're going to have to actually have humans there to teach them that they can't have that prejudice and bias. And until AIs com become completely self-aware and can do what a human can do on knowing the difference between the two, well, some, some humans, um, then, 
that that's going to be a huge problem. So even in the future, when we've got these AIs, human interaction is still going to be necessary in order to train them away from uh, these types of problems. So this is why I want to know, Micah, why why do you hate free speech? Like, why are you trying to crack down on AIs being able to express their opinion freely? Your typical social justice warrior trying to, like, crack down on bots, just having freedom of expression. Typical. <laughs> It is. It is the future that uh, that liberals want. Uh, yeah. This is an interesting uh, topic, I think, in the first place because of of something that happened to me not too long ago. Um, well, not happened to me, but I noticed there were people complaining because when you asked uh, Amazon's assistant if it was a feminist, it would say, yeah, actually I am. And so I decided to ask the other uh, two intelligent assistants, which are Siri and uh, Google. And when you ask them, they didn't say anything. Uh, Google finally did update theirs and actually said, yeah, I am too. And Apple never did. And I don't know if it still has or hasn't. But um, no, still doesn't. The, the, the interesting thing there is, you know, when you look at it, these are just dumb systems in and of themselves. And it is something that someone would have to go in and program as a human to make that response. And so is it is this something that is, you know, because it's not actually coming from this AI, because the AI is not clever enough to do that, then we have to look at how human interaction will influence these artificial intelligences and how that can change, um, you know, the personality, so to speak, of these systems. Well, I think, I mean, the big takeaway here is, you know, without conscious effort on our part, you know, AI systems will mirror the uh, prejudices of the the normal world. I mean, you know, sexism is baked into language. And if you take a, um, you know, certain sample of language, it's utterly unsurprising to me. I mean, you know, the, the thing I found really interesting, and I'd love your take on this, Georgia, is it talking about how, um, you know, words affect our cognition. Um, and, and the stereotypes particularly affect our cognition of people. I mean, what is kind of the psychological take of this whole, of this whole um, piece? Well, it's not just that, that words affect the way that our conscious thought is, because for Tay, Tay also did a lot of its learning through its interactions with people after that. And uh, it was targeted from uh, 4chan and 8chan. Um, to make it worse. They they actually yeah. went out there. They said, oh, look at this. This is going to be really funny. And then it was meant to learn from its interactions. And it was forced to, well, not forced, but it was fed into a like a bathing of you become who you're, what you're, you get, you become influenced by what your environment is. And so the environment was heavily negative racist and they thought that it would be funny to see what they can do. And I think that as a social experiment, it does show that it is important what we surround ourselves with, it does affect how we react to things. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because there's also a Chinese chatbot, uh, Zaus, which was also by Microsoft, uh, the Beijing Research Facility, in uh, 2014. And very, very similar. It was going to, uh, it was set with a certain set of, of speech and understanding, and then it was set out into people, and then it would learn most of it from its interactions with people. And it never became a racist, sexist, bigoted uh, chatbot. Um, and people are discussing what is the difference between Tay and uh, Zaus. One is that, you know, there's a certain amount of control in their culture where there is not a freedom of speech, so you cannot just say anything to anyone. I think that there's also a certain politesse in um, Chinese culture uh, that, you know, we sometimes don't. And, and sometimes just purposely people can be rude or mean just because they think that it's funny not thinking of what the interactions would actually have to people because of that. And that um, there's, there's much more monitoring that happens. I think that the problem with Tay is that it's like taking a child, putting it into any sort of environment, and then never having any checks and balances in place as the child learns and d deals with things. I think that, Micah, your example of the first time a child says a bad word or uses it in a context that's rude or damaging, it's really important that someone says, hey, that's not okay. Why? Because of this. And so you're sending out a child bot out into the world without having a parent to be able to say what's okay and what's not and give it its basic parameters of what is acceptable behavior. And no matter what, then, it could be influenced by outside sources to become something that you do not want it to become. 
And it's a really interesting look about the way that humans interact with machines and then inter- machines will then react afterwards because of that. And it, it's really important because this is the same thing that happens to children that are, that are brought up in very um, negative, violent, um, or um, bigoted environments. They, you, you end up becoming the same type of thing. You're a mimic. And so you are influenced by what words people use and the manner in which they use them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's not just that though. I mean, I do think that there is a lot of, a lot of weight being given to the interactions that Tay was having with people online. But I mean, if there wasn't some basis for that in the training data that, that Tay was given, I don't know that it would have happened quite so quickly. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there was a concerted effort to, you know, corrupt, I guess, in, in quotes, the bot. But uh, at the end of the day, if that was all anomaly and other people were interacting with it as well, I, there, if there wasn't something for it to base the model on in the training data, like, I don't think it would have – it would have happened that Tay would have morphed into what it morphed into. But I don't think it would have happened quite so quickly if you're taking, you know, the entirety of language from 2014 and using test data from – I don't want to say a handful, but just from – it's going to be a subset of that that's going to be the messages that are sent to it over Twitter after it launched, especially that quickly. You know what I mean? So I think there's probably something there in in the language. And I think it's it's one of the reasons that it's important that we're careful about the words that we use, too, not just because everyone is being super sensitive, but because these are the kinds of things that we're doing to ourselves and our, our biases. And that's eventually going to end up getting coded into things that are I mean, we've talked about bias in things like um, algorithms determining, you know, prison sentencing and stuff like mm-hmm. that on the show, too. It's a matter of. Understanding that this is something that's there that can be exploited and and turned negative very quickly, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, that's that's very well said. Uh, our first sponsor today is Indeed Prime. Indeed Prime helps software engineers land their dream job. Candidates get immediate exposure to the best tech companies with just one simple application to Indeed Prime. Companies on Prime's exclusive platform message candidates with salary and equity upfront, and the average salary offer for software engineers is one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Indeed Prime is 100% free for candidates with no strings attached. So yeah, you go on there as a candidate, 100% free, no strings attached, no strings on you. That's awesome. Invite your friends to Indeed Prime and we'll give you $200 when they get contacted by a company and $2,000 when they accept a job through Prime. Start referring now at indeed.com slash prime slash referral. Thanks so much to Indeed Prime for sponsoring this week's episode of Disruption. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about uh, the the very interesting and, uh, at least in, in many in many opinions, broken H one B visa system. Uh, so I've taken some notes on this whole dealy bob, and uh, it is it's very it's it's there's a lot to it, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Bree's take on all of this, but. Um, when when the H-1B visa first came around, uh, it was intended for people who worked in fields like science, engineering, math, and technology. Uh, so it was, it was supposed to be used for three years, and you could renew it one time. And each year, uh, only 65,000 of these visas were handed out. And basically what the idea was is you get these these people who are working in other countries are very skilled to come to the United States. And because they're only 65,000 and you can only renew it once, the idea was to push those companies into helping their uh, the skilled people that they want to keep in the U.S. get green cards and you know become full-on citizens and get to stay in the U.S. and be these highly skilled employees. Well, over... Uh, the last five years, they are there are an estimated 135,000 of these H-1B visas that have been handed out. And something that's super interesting uh, is that the 2016 uh, group of H-1B petitions showed that the top 10 sponsors of those visas, uh, of visa workers that were coming to the U.S., were corporations that dealt exclusively in outsourcing. So there were 10 firms that dealt exclusively in outsourcing that had the most H-1B uh, visas and, you know, getting employees in through those visas. 
and more so, the top 10 had more than the next 90 companies combined. And hmm. the next 90 companies were tech companies and uh, these other fields like engineering, science, math, etc., uh, where these these skilled employees were you know, meant to be coming in and, and sticking around because they liked it here and they were able to make a good amount of money. And there's some interesting stuff with the H-1B uh, surrounding how there were these rules about having to prove that if you hired someone with the H-1B visa, uh, you had to show that you were not displacing an American worker. And they also were required to show that they first tried to hire an American worker for whatever job it was before they went and outsourced the job to someone else. Now, that over time, that rule actually had been changed so that if someone who is a skilled worker elsewhere that you're bringing in had a master's degree or is being paid at least $60,000, then you didn't have to prove that you weren't displacing an American worker and you didn't have to prove that you were trying to hire an American worker in the first place. So my point in all of this is that this is a very, very, very thick, thick, thick thing. And we are constantly, we being the nation, looking at different ways to adapt and improve upon the H-1B so that we get more skilled workers into the United States and we are able to bring people in, but also uh, companies aren't taking it and using it as a means to, uh, to to kind of bring people in from from the outside that aren't as a skilled. Yeah, Micah, Micah, I got to say, I feel like you're kind of missing the thrust of this, um, you know, this piece that The Verge did, um, you know. Long story short, like you're you're kind of talking about how we have this H-1B program. It's to bring in um, workers when they can't find an American to fill it. And you know, now we kind of have this white nationalist president, right, uh, that kind of got elected on this America, you know, America first um, rhetoric. Um, and, you know, he signed this week this executive order, like, hire American, buy American, which really doesn't have any teeth to it. But, you know, hell is frozen over because I completely agree with Trump on this particular issue. I've seen this in tech for a really long time that, uh, you know, this system is being abused to stop paying American engineers the top wages and to just bring in talent from other countries to do that. So it's, it's, not, it's really being used as an anti-competitive um, force to stop people from like, you know, bidding up engineer salaries. And it's, it's so anti-labor, like even if you believe like the Republican song and dance about like a free market, there's nothing that's more free market than having a very hotly demanded skill and then getting, you know, companies to like bid up your jobs over there, like bid up your salary over this. So um, I'm completely on board with uh, like the view here that H-1B system is broken. Uh, the people, their proponents of it, they kind of wrap themselves in this, um, you know, kind of veneer of, um, you know, oh, multiculturalism, but it's really being used to just like, um, you know, expatriate jobs uh, and move them to other countries. Like you noted in this, the the major people doing this are some of the most, um, you know, infamous job, uh, you know, exporters out of the United States. And, you know, this is one of these issues where I don't think party is involved with it, right? Like my American politics end at the U.S. border. And whoever the president is, if they can kind of stop this, um, frankly, deluding of skills here in the United States, I'm 100% for that. I do think it's worth adding here that the, you know, the Verge piece touches on this. There is a very frightening wave of nationalism right now. Like we had an Indian engineer that was murdered by some white supremacists just a few weeks ago. That's extremely, extremely troubling. And, you know, this this does have a downside. And I definitely want people to be able to come into the United States and invest here and work here. But I think that we've got to do this in a way that makes sense for American workers here. So I'm 100% for like looking at this program and seeing if we can, um, you know, make the deal fairer for us. So I started working in IT in 2001 when the first wave of H-1Bs was really at its height. And I remember when I was at that company that I was at at the time, it was – this was a constant fear. There were companies being brought in. There were – we were working with these companies 
on a fairly regular basis, and there was always the fear that we were going to be training our replacements. Mm. At the same time, like you're saying, Brie, it's hard to divorce um, the practical matter from, I'll just use the word xenophobia, that, that's that's taken over the administration. And, you know, it's it's hard to see this as much of a good faith, you know, effort to, to revisit it, it is the problem, because there are a number of people and I, I work with a number of them that have been that, that came in, you know, on this program and have been here and working and, and have gotten citizenship and are are some of, you know, the smartest people I know. And I think that the problem is there are other problems that we have in the fact that we're not funding education, that we're making it nearly impossible to acquire some of those skills without going into, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. You're you're addressing the symptom without addressing the disease, if that makes sense. And the the problem is that we're just the people who are coming up into our workforce are not, you know, are competing at an unfair level to begin with. And also because there's, you know, a salary discrepancy on top of that. So, I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm an IT worker. Like this is close to my heart, but it's close to my heart on both sides because I don't want to see, you know, companies from overseas coming and just offshoring a, a large swath of jobs to, you know, better the bottom line. But I also know that some of the people who are coming in are making these companies better when they come in for the reasons that the program was originally intended. Right. And that's, that's why I'm a hundred percent for Steve, like do it right. Um, you know, my husband, if you go over to his company, it is like, there are a lot of non-Americans there, right? And they're, they've come here, they help create jobs here. They create, you know, shareholder value. I'm a hundred percent for that. And yeah, I certainly, I could not agree more strongly that those people, like, if they're here, like, there need to be legal ways for them to do it. And by God, we need respect for those people. But something I'm thinking, I've really been thinking a lot lately, as I've been out in District 8, and I'm talking to a lot of families that are just busting it day in and day out, and they cannot make a living. You know, we talk a lot on our show about, you know, some of the frustrations that we may feel. For me as a woman, you know, I don't feel like I have the same career opportunities that men do in the tech industry. You know, we talk about the ways that we feel held back sometimes by society. And what I wish some of my liberal friends would raise their consciousness about is for a lot of like working class people out there, they see their wages dwindling. They see their healthcare costs exploding. They see their family not having opportunities. And they are scared that they are not having opportunities too. And our fears are really kind of practically the same. Like we all just want a good life for ourselves. So I, I think that we've got to see each other's common humanity there and kind of get past some of this like left versus right infighting. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't think it's always super productive. I don't think the H-1B issue is like, you know, leftist multiculturalism versus white nationalism. I think it's much more interesting than that. Yeah, I, I do too. I just, I my fear is that it's, you know, I because I don't trust what the current administration is doing with anything and that there's always that undercurrent, that it, it's... It's not coming from a place of of practicality, that it's coming from a place of, you know, an attempt to to strike out at people who are other. And that's, I think that's 100 percent fair. Trump has no credibility on this. I, I think my my point is I do want to see this problem solved. Yeah, uh, Georgia, what were you going to yeah. say? Yeah. But what what do you think that you could do that would be a fair balance so that um, companies could hire new people yet still? protecting uh, so they wouldn't be finding a loophole to be able to find just cheap labor and not actually working towards getting anyone that is effective and not taking jobs from people that are already in the United States. How well, would you- I, think it's, I think it's exactly what this article is talking about. It's like looking at these loopholes. It's like bringing back some of the standards that Micah was talking about, about having to prove that they couldn't find American workers to fill these jobs. You know, looking at the people doing it, if they've got these uh, you know, tendencies then to move entire companies offshore, 
you know, look at that more critically. And that's really honestly more of a job for lawyers to sit down and look at the loopholes in the language. Um, you know, my, I can I can say for me as somebody who's running for office, I, I want Americans to be treated fairly first. Um, but Steve, something you said, and I think this is so important, this is a failure of our, you know, education system. You know, I spoke at Smith College this week which was an amazing time with a lot of fantastic young women. But those young women are spending $72,000 a year for an education. Now, they're going to leave that school with some excellent engineering skills because I talked to their teachers. They're on top of it. But that is a lot of debt to just get basic you know, tech skills to start a career with. So I think like this is, um, you know, this is a failure of the American education system, too. Uh, yeah, I think the, the the biggest point here for me, at least, is how these exactly check about the loopholes. Because right now, uh, what's what's going on is people are are being replaced, and the people with whom they're being replaced are being paid far less money, and they are oftentimes not receiving benefits. And because their uh, status in the country is based around the company for which they work, there's a lot of of the company holding that over these, you know, these workers. So the the companies have a lot of control in this situation, especially those top 10 firms that I talked about. And the, the people that are coming in are not necessarily in jobs that, you know, when, when we look globally and we say, we would love to have that person and that person, because we've heard about those people all over the entire world. They are incredibly skilled and there's nobody here locally who could do that job. Yes. You want to bring those, those people to the United States and say, we can really provide you the best place to work and and you can do great things. But when we're talking about jobs that could be done here in the United States. And we are not only with the person who is, you know, the American who is losing their job and, and uh, has to go find something else at the same time that they're losing their job and that $90,000 a year salary, what have you, they're being replaced with a person who, uh, you know, on the human rights side, they're only being paid $30,000 a year and they're only, uh, and, and they're not receiving many benefits. And again, they're having that held over them that the reason they're in the country is because they're working for the job. And, you know, th- that can definitely be taken advantage of. So that's, that is not okay. And I think that's the the biggest thing here is we've got to look at a way to, yes, bring uh, – make sure that the skilled people, the very, very skilled people that we can't find anywhere else can be here. But we also have to make sure that if we do have skilled people right here – then companies should not be allowed to then take that and say, oh, no, I'm going to save the, – the, the article quoted some ridiculous number, multi-billions of dollars a year saved because they're not paying as much for health insurance and they're not paying as much for, for salary because they're hiring outside of the country. That's not what the H-1B was supposed to be used for in the first place. It was supposed to be used to bring talent in, not save corporations a bajillion dollars. What if they actually had to – put money, that money that would be not used towards healthcare and salary towards another fund to be able to, I don't know, do something towards so that they weren't actually much cheaper for the company to hire. If they had to take the money so they would be saving, I don't know, you know, $100,000 a year to that because they're hiring outside of state, what if they had to put that towards, you know, education or some other system? The company still had to pay out what it would be to hire someone that would be American so that the only reason that they would actually be hiring someone out of state would not be because of cost, but because they would be the best qualified person for the job. I think that's really interesting. I, I like the way you're thinking. I mean, yeah, at the core, this issue is about, you know, it's about wealth and equality, right? Mm-hmm. It's about 1% that's getting more and more powerful. Yeah, and they want that deal. more and more for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think what you're talking about is like balancing the scale some in that, that direction. So I, I, I love ideas like that. I think it's great. The benefit of bringing someone over should not be that you can save the money over hiring someone who you would have been able to find domestically. The benefit of bringing somebody in is that they have skills that you cannot acquire and you're going to grow your business as a result of the the benefit that they bring to your business that you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. 
that, yeah. that's the yeah. that's the intention of that's the that's the spirit of the law, not necessarily <laughs> how what what ends up happening. But I, I just can't I cannot see any company caring if it's just going to be cheaper. I, I just can never. So I can't see any way around it if it's still going to be cheaper. It's got to be regulations that do it. Yeah, no company. It has will to be ever something that. that makes it really equal. If it's equal, then you're going to hire the best because that's then going to make you the most. It's going to save you the most money that you have the best person that you're going to create the best product, and that actually would make you the most money then in the end. But if someone out of state is cheaper, I, I, if I ran a company, I would say the same thing. And it's just. But uh, yeah, but I think I think the other problem though, if if, if this is. In this particular scenario that they're talking about in this article is that you can do that, but if the goal it, – it's, it's basically why, why is the company hiring this person? If the company is hiring this person to acquire skills that they can't get from elsewhere, then that's the reason that it exists. If the, if the skills that they're bringing are to be able to train an outsourcing company in another country to be able to, out, to outsource that, that department, that's – it's harder to prove that, right? It, it's you could I'm not not that it's hard to prove that you can have them pay into that fund, but eventually you're not really stopping anything from happening. You know what I mean? But again, I guess the other question is if they couldn't do that, what you know they probably would have. You know, maybe they probably find some other way to get rid of those jobs. It's hard to say. You know, because ultimately that's an expense that they can't that they decide they can't shoulder. They're going to relieve themselves of that expense one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, the lobbying shows the pressure that's being put on on the government shows that that yeah, I mean Georgie, you're dead on. The companies are going to keep doing this and that's why it has to be the change of the way that the visa is set up, which means that it's on people who work in our government to make those changes because the company's just going to keep doing that cuz yeah, it saves money. There's no absolutely other than if you're just like somehow a company that's just run on like what's the right thing, which uh, show me a company that does that in all instances. It's got to be on the government so Bree, no pressure, but uh, let's make that change. <laughs> but do that. If I can say one more thing before we move on, you know, in in progressive circles, I think it's very tempting to, you know, sort of pretend that if you know if it just weren't for those pesky Republicans, we would be just fine. Everything would be great, and we get like a utopia right, because because liberals don't care about money. Right. But I mean, but the fact is, and I've been studying this so much in my congressional run, I'm telling you guys, structurally, the Democrats are part of this problem Mm -hmm. with outsourcing and giving a bad deal to the American worker. You know, you look at who's had control of the White House over the last 40 years. We've had a lot of Democratic presidents. You know, Bill Clinton has been behind some trade deals that have been very bad for the American people. And again, I mean, the way this system works is they get left and the right screaming at each other over, you know, things that matter. Gay marriage, transgender rights, you know, women's rights. These things are really important, but their whole plan is to keep us screaming at each other while they're robbing the bank. And, you know, we've just really got to look at this issue and kind of move beyond this like knee-jerk partisan reaction mm-hmm. and really think about what's better for the American worker because we're just – we're taking it right now. And it's, yeah. it's not working for anybody. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said. Uh, so this episode of Disruption is brought to you by the Tech Academy. Spring has sprung, and while the buds are blossoming, so are the opportunities, especially at the Tech Academy. The Tech Academy offers a comprehensive coding boot camp. They start with computer basics and fundamentals of software development to give each student the best understanding of how the technology works, and from there, they build you up to the latest industry skills. And with the Tech Academy's open enrollment policy, that means you can start anytime. You could be on the path to your new career today. The bootcamp is self-paced with skilled instructors available to help you, and courses can be completed in as little as 15 weeks. You can attend the bootcamp online from anywhere in the world or from their classroom located in Portland, Oregon. With the tech industry on the rise, now is the time to start your career in the coding and software development industry. Let the Tech Academy help you get started today. If you can read and perform basic math, which I think I can do 
do. That's two plus two equals five. Yes, you can code. Check out the Tech Academy today and get started on your career path. Go to learncodinganywhere.com now to get started. Once again, that's learncodinganywhere.com. Thanks so much to the Tech Academy for sponsoring Disruption. Can can I say something about this, Micah? I yeah. am 100% for people learning how to do this. And, and back me up on this, Steve. When you are – there are so many times throughout your career in tech that you're going to have to sit down and read documentation and figure it out yourself. Like that is – honestly, 90% of the job. And, you know, like some people learn best by going and spending, you know, hundred or $200,000 on a degree in the tech world. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. just what your skills are and what you can do. And, you know, you're going to have to spend a lot of button chair time to learn it. So I am a hundred percent for people trying things like this, because it's how I've learned my entire career, and it's it's served me very well. There's no skill an employer wants more than someone that has the capacity to go learn new things themselves. So I, I'm 100% for this. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of the best programmers that I know are not, you know, they didn't go through a fancy computer science program. Like they went through, they some of them went through the business and then learned programming afterward. And that's like, if you are somebody who can speak to, non-programmers and understand what they're saying and then turn that into code that's more important than the actual you know the actual programming skills sometimes and yeah. so that and and those types of people walk on water you know what i mean so you know even if you didn't go to school for this it's never too late to be able to learn because i mean once you learn the basics you can pick a lot of this stuff up a, a lot of it i mean the stuff i do you know programming is not you know it's not super difficult the hard part is taking the requirements from people who want something done and being able to translate that and yep. then turn that into something that's working and and yep. if you can you know if you have that kind of a skill set and then you built you put the coding on top of that then you you really have a career that that will be in demand. So if you're, you know, if you're thinking about it, this is definitely something to to look into because it's it, it's never too late to get into into programming as a career. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, let us let's round things out here with um, a little topic that that actually has recently been in the press um, pretty heavily. So uh, Prince Harry uh, was very open and very honest about having suffered uh, depression and anxiety and uh, periods of, you know, absolute anguish after the death of his mother, Princess Diana. And it took many years for him to open up about that in general and took a long time before uh, he sought therapy. And this is this is this is particularly I think a big deal as as we're talking about this not only because these are very big figures who a lot of people pay attention to and it further helps to destigmatize mental health but also because uh, they are coming together for a campaign called Heads Together uh, where they will seek to end stigmas. So we've got Canada trying to end stigmas surrounding mental illness. We've got the UK doing it. And, uh, you know, if the, if the UK with their steely resolve can, can kind of talk about feelings and emotions and mental health, then by golly, I think everybody can. Georgia, what do you think? I'm just really excited about it. Um, the, um, Britain and and people that that are um, from the UK. It really wasn't. You were supposed to keep a steel upper lip, uh, stiff upper lip, not really talk about it. If someone's upset, you ignore it. And that they the the entire culture was really bi built upon not showing your emotions. I remember an interview when someone even was told the interviewer was told, "Do not ask Prince Charles how he feels." And when they did, he didn't answer. It was very awkward. And so I think that it's a really big deal because there's a lot of issues that come out of us repressing our own feelings and emotions because of, you know, feelings of guilt, shame, of that means that we're vulnerable or we're not superheroes because we should never feel anything and we should never uh, need help for anything, which is absolutely ridiculous because we all need help. We all go through difficulties. And him speaking out about it so publicly um, I think is really going to help other people say it's okay to go and get help and you don't have to suffer alone. And for him, it was 20 years after her death and he had never really dealt with it. 
and he had never mourned that, and he decided that, you know, he wants to be healthy and ready for a family, and that he's going to go and get that help, and he's going to help others be able to get that help as well. And so I, I really commend him for doing that. I think that it, it's really nice to have public figures that are going to go out there and go out on a limb and take the risk of um, people being negative and nasty, because that's what people can do. And I'm really happy that there's been a an exceptionally positive um, outlook to this and a lot of press so that other people know that they can get help. And I, I do know two people that came into my office this week and they said that uh, it, it made a huge difference to them that he was able to speak out and have they, they were able to have that conversation with their family because their family never spoke about this right after he did as well. But did you did you not see in the maybe you just didn't get this in Canada, Georgia, but the American press completely lambasted him. Oh, did for they? talking about this? Did they oh, really? It was terrible. Did Go they look really? at my Twitter. Yeah, it was headlines like, "Oh, oh no, no stiff upper lip," and it's like, "Oh, really?" You jerk store. Like no. his mom yeah. died <gasps> when he was twelve. And you were running a headline making fun of him for having some issues about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm horrified. Right? I'm horrified. I I did not know this. I was reading Canadian. I've been reading Canadian news. (laughs) (laughs) We've been so awesome about it. I'm just reading Canadian news from now on because it sounds like it's a lot better better for my mental health than the American news. Oh. No, Ugh. no, they completely went after him for this. No. And I'm just, I'm trying to imagine, you know, it's just so, I, you know, like being a public figure sucks. It is terrible. Like something I think about all the time is when I was, um, you know, my freshman year of college, I met this guy named Jason that tried out for real world like 10 times in a row and just kept doing it because he's so wanting to be famous. And like people knowing who you are is terrible. Like I have a, a, a thread going right now where people are, are analyzing the restaurants that I go to from my FEC forms and like oh and judging me based on that. Oh my um, God. Right. So, you know, it's like this, this kid is 12 years old. He didn't ask for any of that. Any of the public eye had no agency in it. His brain isn't even formed for him to like understand all of this. And his mom dies. The most terrible thing I can imagine a child can go through, just about. His mom dies. He's got cameras in his face trying to, like, exploit the story. And then he's damaged by it. Of course, he would be really sick if that didn't damage him. And the American press is going after him about that. I just, I, I it just, it, it's no wonder our country is so unhealthy right yeah Yeah. i mean this is toxic masculinity at its worst is is tell you know with a generation after generation of boys who are told that you're not allowed to feel feelings and you're Mm -hmm. not allowed to seek help if you need it and Mm -hmm. this is why we have a lot of the problems that we have like you can't just rub dirt on mental trauma like you can't walk it off. And, uh, you know, as a boy growing up, it's, you know, you're not allowed to show emotion. You get punished very seriously for showing emotion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what he's doing is probably more courageous than anybody realizes by doing that. And it, it shouldn't have to be like it. This should be normal to say this was a traumatic event. I'm getting help. And if you're going through something similar, you should do that, too. I think that's amazing. It's so sad that that's something that you're going to attack him for. Like, that should be how things are. Like, that shouldn't be a controversial statement in any country. Amen. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Amen. What, what are your thoughts, Micah? Uh, well, obviously, I am 100% happy that we are having very important, very high-level figures talking about this. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, for some reason, was was blessed in the sense that um, I don't know if I was just – I wasn't very vulnerable to it or if it was – or like I didn't pay attention to it or if it just didn't happen. But I can't remember very often uh, growing up where I was – 
told at least to not, you know, to, 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 you know, quit crying or told not to do this or not to do that and not to show emotions. And like I said, I can't remember for sure. It was just a factor of me not paying attention or whatever, but I have, I've always been very open at least about my emotions. Like I, I kid you not, every single doggone movie has a, point where it makes me cry. And like when, you know, it could be some silly little thing where uh, somebody picks up a piece of uh, a flower off the ground and hands it to somebody and like I'm suddenly bawling. I, I've just always been very emotional and am willing to share that with people. Um, and have like in the past at least been kind of shocked whenever people are like, thank you for being, you know, honest about your emotions and, and, you know, thank you for not being ashamed to share that. It's, it's, fascinating to see or fascinating is not the right word. I just, I really appreciate it. Anytime someone stands up and speaks out about their emotions and says, I don't care that, you know, so much of the world is saying to everybody that, you know, you need to to keep a, a stern face on and be unbothered by everything and not let anything affect you. When the fact is as humans, we are affected by things and that's okay. So I really appreciate anytime we have high level figures doing the same thing. I, I, think- I think for me, you know, on a policy level, George, is something you said uh, on one of our shows a while back, and it's it's really affected you know my my plans as we're putting together you know my congressional platform. Is you're talking about how if we would open up psychology to people in schools and mm-hmm. really you know open up this access to more people, how much healthier a society we would have. And I I do have to believe that a lot of like American toxic aggression is because it, we have a culture that really sublimates all these um, all these issues. It's very hard to get help here in America. You know, with my therapist, I know my insurance company plays these games with her that really upset me. It's like, well, you can't have an hour-long session. You've got to make it 45 minutes. And it's, it's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And I really want to expand people's ability to, you know, go get help with these kinds of problems because it just, it, it comes out in all these unhealthy ways in our society. I I feel like so often police very do correctly get the blame for a lot of the, the violence that we see that churns my stomach. But I think it's really worth thinking about. You know, we've gutted the social safety net that like gives, um, you know, people with mental issues like access to mental health care or like drug rehabilitation programs or, you know, any kind of safety net. So the police are really forced to be the first responders to this stuff. And they have no idea, no training about how to do this. They're put into an, a very unfair situation and then police respond with, you know, what people drawn to that profession do, like handle problems of force. And it's just a terrible situation for everyone involved with that. So, yeah, we've really got to, like, we have these tools. Like we understand a lot about human psychology these days. And I think it's very clear that nations that invest in that, like end up with, you know, happier populaces. Yeah. And healthier. Healthier too. Love it. Yeah. Very well said. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Steve, I believe we have at least one question today, don't we? Uh, So, so we have one question that came in through Twitter um, and I don't know if we can use this person's name, so I won't. Um, but it says, hello, Disrupticons. I have a question for you. I seem to have trouble keeping in touch with my friends and or making friends. I have a girlfriend and I'm with her all the time, but I'd like to spend more time with other people. Um, more details. Sometimes plans just fall through. Other times I just don't feel like I'm friends enough with people to invite them slash do things with them. It feels like everyone has their established groups that I don't like intruding. Um, I've been living in Mexico for the past eight years in the country that I'm originally from. I have my small group of friends from childhood. So how can we help Who this person first <laughs> be more friend, be more friendly with people or, or have have more have more lasting and meaningful relationships with people? But you have to represent yourself with people honestly, right? Like you've got to really be yourself. You've got to embrace who you are. So I think the way to do that is, 
you know, you need to do things where you're going to strike up those you know, friendships naturally. Like, Steve, you and I met uh, you know, on app.net, which is a hyper geeky place, right? We're just being ourselves and talking about stuff that's important to us. So, you know, if that's um, you know, real life things, like, uh, you know, I'm going to go do a Nerf War with uh, people and I'm sure I'll meet people there. So you've got to, like, just really be yourself and go out there and, you know, just interact with people people. Um, that said, I know it's hard because it's not something I like doing a lot too. Yeah. I, I think for me, I certainly am the extroverted introvert and, uh, understand like the, you know, when you don't, as you mentioned, when you don't feel up to it. Uh, so sometimes it's important to, to take those periods of time that are your own. But I also think that, at some point, if this is something that you really do want to do, if you want to go meet new people and you have these opportunities, at some times you just kind of have to jump and say, you know what, I'm going to go do it. And I have to like, speaking from literal experience, uh, a friend of mine was in town and we're going to go hang out tomorrow. And I was kind of looking at myself and going, wow, you have not done that in a while. And I think it's important that if this is a goal of yours, you just have to say, all right, I want to go hang out with people and I am given the opportunity. I need to do it. And even if I'm not feeling up to it, like right in the moment, you know, maybe if this is something that you really want to do, just, just try to push through that and, and, and continue to, to go and have fun. Um, in terms of, of making lasting relationships, uh, I, I kind of, it's friendships are like bonsai trees in my mind where you have to prune them and you have to kind of to keep them you know keep them updated and and things like that and that does take a lot of of work and investment and so I think that that is a matter of finding the right people to surround yourself with. And you talk about spending a lot of time with your girlfriend. There's clearly a reason that you two are compatible and you can find friends who, you know, come close to that certain level of, of wanting to, you know, spend a lot of time with them. So maybe the, the deep relationships that you don't have right now, you're just waiting to find the right people to really connect with. And that's where Bree's uh, touch on, on being who you are uh, so that you do attract people who are, you know, people you want to hang out with. They, they come along and, and you find those friends. What I'll say is that as far as like the don't like intruding piece of it and, and you know, I think to some extent you really would be surprised a lot of the time. Like if you ask, you probably will be pleasantly surprised, no, which is not to say that necessarily that's not that your perception might not be true every so often. But I've found and, and this is, you know, a problem that I've had for a very long time is that I my perception of how good of a friendship I have with somebody is a, often a lot lower than their perception of it because of my own self-esteem issues. And I would say don't project that onto them if you can help it, because and, and I trust me, I'm as introverted as they come and I know how difficult it can be to push through that. But I think that if you give people a chance, a lot of the time, they'll they'll pleasantly surprise you. And, and the ones who don't, generally, you don't you probably don't want to be friends with those people anyway. Um, and, and I would say that now is a good time to kind of practice this, because once you get once you have kids and you have to start getting a sitter to go to go out and make really firm plans because everything revolves around a schedule and everything else, this gets like 10 times harder. If, if if you have kids, <laughs> yeah. if you have kids, yeah. If if sorry, sorry, did I say when? You Actually, did. I meant to say. I meant to say yes. if. I'm sorry. No, that's I, fine. Yeah, my my apologies. I definitely meant to say. I'll yes. have a nemesis soon, Steve. You don't, <laughs> you don't want to be, be careful. on the bad side. Yeah. Be careful. It ends poorly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would I would also have you ask yourself um, what what are the reasons that you haven't uh, reached out to the people that are your friends and. Is it because you you would prefer to be with your girlfriend, and so then that is a conscious choice? Is it because of social anxiety, and you're worried that they may not want to talk to you, or do you have difficulty in going into social circles and feeling comfortable with that? And is it a thing about time? Is it a thing about self-esteem? There's a lot of reasons why we might not do something, and if you look into why that is, then often you can unwind that knot and come back out of it it's sometimes hard to be really honest with yourself about that because you might it might be something that you're shy about or nervous about. 
but once you look into it, then it makes it much easier to figure out then what do I do about it. Do you know of any um, resources or videos someone that was suffering from <laughs> social anxiety might be able to, to uh, use, yeah. Georgia? You can check out anxiety-videos.com. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, we have some videos that, that deal with that. And, uh, and if, if not, there's also books on the subject as well. And in the end, you know, just go a little bit outside of your comfort zone and a little bit further outside of your comfort zone each time. Love it. All right. Well, that wraps up things for this week. If you would like to get in touch and leave your questions to be answered, here's how you can do that. You can call us at 508-418-3532 to leave a voicemail. You can tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me or send us a direct message if you'd rather keep things private. Uh, please do let us know if we can use your name on the show. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. Uh, you can find the show notes for this show and every single show at relay.fm slash disruption or of course looking down into the app you're using right now if you're looking for me online you can find me at www.chihuahua.coffee per usual and if you are if we're looking for you steve online where can we find you uh, well, if you are one of the few people who likes listening to me talk about Hearthstone for hours on end, the uh, second part of the set review I did with Andrew Brown over at the Happy Hearthstone is up, so you can go uh, find that, and I'll put a link to the show notes to that. And otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Wicked Good. All right, and Bree, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Just follow the nemesis balls that will be all over America very soon. I'm going to be like Johnny Appleseed, traveling the world, firing my nemesis at everything. That sounds dangerous. That's right. Planting Nerf balls in your wake. I am going to drive to your house and I'm going to talk to your daughter. I'm going to be like, go shoot this at daddy. Just go shoot this at daddy. And I'm just going to wait. But he's the, the one who controls my electronics time, Auntie Bree. Oh, you couldn't do that. That'd be not oh. fair. Have you met me? <laughs> Can I retaliate against a, a child that's clearly under Brianna Wu's corrupt influence? I, I no, need to save her not. from herself. This is Brianna Wu's fault, not, not your child's fault. Well, you should send your children immediately to the Twitter account, Space Cocktail, <laughs> where they can be shown the light, Steve. The light and not the darkness. Not the, There's no darkness. No darkness, yeah. It, it could be a light. It could be an oncoming train, you know, either, either or. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> if, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Uh, you can check out anxiety-videos.com or, of course, uh, on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore down. Awesome. All that's left is for Steve to say that thing he says every week for some reason. Steve, take it away. Um, the monkey flies alone. <laughs> <laughs> ah! 